be seated. Amen. Thank you so much for your singing this morning. It is a blessing. First Peter chapter number five is where I'll be. First Peter five is where we're going to walk through. So for a little bit, I'm going to let you know that I know this is what we normally do, but I'm controlling this from up here. So this is my self-disclaimer. I have no problem with technical difficulties, okay? I experience them all the time. So if something goes wrong, I will walk down there casually and keep talking. So here's the deal. If they don't bother you, they don't bother me. So we'll go through. So as you turn to 1 Peter chapter 5, I'm glad for you to be here this morning. And as we go to 1 Peter 5, I think we're going to walk through some things that I think fit for us in this current moment. So I'm already experiencing. There we go. We're going to walk through some things because of what the word of God says in 1 Peter chapter 5 as we walk through there and all through the Psalms that God's word reaches to every generation. So when we look at the situations that occur, we're like, we're what, in second week, second Sunday in 2021, it's already proven to be an exciting year. So the word of God fits in every situ situation and circumstance. So as for the next few minutes, I want to work through First Peter chapter number five, a couple of verses. And what we're going to do is we're going to take a moment and look at just a couple last verses, because I would love to go through the whole book of First Peter. But as you can see, that we only have that kind of time to go through a couple of verses in First Peter. So as we go through, but I think these last couple of verses help us understand what Peter is trying to tell to a suffering church. So when we come to First Peter, Peter is writing to a church that is being persecuted. People who are going through struggles, hardships. And as he writes them, he's trying to encourage them in the word of God. It's telling how they navigate these things. And I think if we're uh, open our eyes and kind of looking around, we kind of see that uh, that may be the kind of situation we're sitting in. Now, we don't sit in the same persecution. I'm not going to add our persecution that we're experiencing now to what the early church did, because I don't know anybody who was stopped and stoned on the way to church this morning. So I'm not going to quite put those together. But I am going to say that we all seem to have the sufferings and the struggles, and Paul, I mean, sorry, Peter is talking to the people going through struggles. So as we start walking through this, we're going to take the next few minutes and walk through First Peter chapter 5. So before I do that, I'm going to stand here and talk to my junior church for, for just a little bit. As you know, we're not having junior church because I'm standing here, and it's hard for me to stand here and back there at the same time. And so I didn't think you want us to live stream here to there, so I thought it'd be better if you just sat here with us. So as we start looking at this, I understand that you guys are here. And as much as we're not going to sing Spring Up Oh Well, because we don't want these adults to get up and have to do motions and splish splash and uh, anything like that, I want you to follow me as we walk through this, because I think it can be a help to you. And for the folks who are at home, who are get to watch this uh, in their pajamas, as you guys had to get dressed, <laughs> and those people who are watching from home, that we're thinking of you guys also as we walk through this passage. So here's the thing. What I want to do in the next few minutes is I'm going to pause we're going to pray and ask God to bless this service because we need God's help. And after we pray, we're going to walk through a definition of suffering. I think that we can all kind of work with. And as we walk through the definition, then we're going to see what Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is going to show us how we ought to live walking through times that are uncertain. Certainties and the middle of uncertainty. So let's pray and ask God to help us, and then we'll kind of walk through where we're headed today. Let's pray. God, as we look around in the auditorium, Lord, we notice that there are people that aren't here, Lord, because of sicknesses, Lord, because of different things going on in life. Lord, we know that sitting in this auditorium, we are people who have cares in our hearts, a lot of things going on. 
And Lord, as we've learned so much in the last year and going into this, Lord, this meeting of your people is important. Lord, we need to hear from you. We need your word. And so, God, for the next couple minutes, God, I pray and ask that you would steal our hearts. God, I pray that the evil one would not come and seal away the seed. God, I pray that the cares of the world would not choke it out. God, I pray that it would bring forth fruit. As you've said, your word would not return void. And so, God, we're claiming this promise this morning as we look through your word. And so, God, I pray that you would help us. Lord, I pray that you'd help me. Or not to try and say anything that I think would be funny or light or that I think my opinion or any of those things. But, God, I pray that your word would come forth so clearly. Lord, that your Holy Spirit would work so evidently in our lives this morning as we meet. Lord, we're not coming here because this is just a thing we do on Sunday mornings. God, we honestly want to hear from you, the God of all grace. So, God, would you work in us today? We're asking for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as we walk through this, if you're there, 1 Peter chapter 5, I'll read the verses for us, and then we'll kind of walk through this, right? 1 Peter chapter 5, once again, I would love to go through the whole entire book, but we don't got that kind of time. So, let's jump to verse number 8. Here's where we'll start, and this is where we'll spend most of our time, verse 8 through 11. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, who has called us into his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, as we start walking through this, I'm going to give you my definition for suffering. And I think the definition from suffering would work because I believe this definition is from a person who would know suffering. So as we start looking at this, my definition is going to come from Elizabeth Elliot. Um, Elizabeth Elliot wrote a book, <laughs> Suffering is Never for Nothing. And in her book, she gives this definition. I think it's great. She says, I'll read the definition in just a second, but she said that suffering can cover the gamut from when the wash, dishwasher doesn't work to, and in her book, the um, your husband is diagnosed with cancer. Like all through the gamut, we all experience suffering. So here's where our definition for suffering will be. Suffering is having what you don't want or wanting what you don't have. So for my junior church folks, I'm going to let you know that this definition doesn't mean that suffering is getting the gift that you didn't want for Christmas. So you unwrap the gift that you thought you were going to get, and it wasn't what you thought. And so that way you are suffering. That is not it. But suffering is sometimes the things in life that we did not ask for. We didn't want to be in that position. And somehow we're walk we find ourselves there. The Apostle Paul would be a great illustration of this, right? He had a thorn in the flesh. Three times I asked the Lord to remove the thorn. And God wouldn't remove it. Paul, I didn't ask for this. This isn't what I wanted. And the thing is, we start going through suffering... Have you ever had someone who you had something that you were struggling with and, and we'll, we'll call it suffering, right? But somebody else made light of it because it's like, oh, that you call that suffering? Let me tell you what, you don't even, oh, come on. This happens a lot. I speak again to my junior church folks. This happens a lot with kids, right? You have a struggle as a kid and you tell an adult and the adult thinks, oh, well, if that's the worst thing, when I was a kid and I walked to school both ways in the snow uphill, that's not a problem. And sometimes the kid, you're like, no, no, I didn't want this. I didn't ask for this. I'm struggling. 
I'm suffering. Sometimes this happens to teenagers, right? <laughs> you walk through life as a teenager. I'm having a struggle in this relationship. And you talk to somebody and they're like, relationships? Oh, you're only 17. You don't even know about relationships yet. Like, but no, this hurts. Right now, this hurts. Oh, this happened at school. Oh, <laughs> let me tell you. You know, when I was in school, after I walked both ways in the snow uphill, and we have all these things about when other people struggle and have difficulties. But then this happens to us as adults, right? I didn't ask for this health issue. I was really hoping <laughs> that in retirement, my retirement was going to look different than this. I didn't ask for this family situation. I didn't ask for this financial situation. And when we start looking at the word of God, in 1 Peter chapter 5, Paul, I mean, keep saying Paul, Peter is writing to struggling people. Now, we love to glamorize the persecution of the early church. Like there were some superhuman people who just loved being beaten and stoned, and they just rejoiced in it. Stone me again. There are people that hurt. There was insecurities, uncertainties. There were all kinds of things that were struggling. And as Peter's writing to them, this is how you navigate life in uncertainty. And as we come to the first Peter chapter five, verse eight through 10, here's what we're going to look at. I mean, eight through 11. Here's what we're going to look at for a little bit. We're going to look at this thought that there are certain things that we can always expect in the middle of uncertain times. There are certain things that we always can expect. And we just read them in first Peter five. So let's walk right through it, right? For the next few minutes. First one. We're going to verse number eight. Got your Bible? I want you to see it. I'll put it on the screen, but I want you to see it. There is always an adversary. There's always an adversary. Let's do it, right? Verse number eight. Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary, now if you have your Bible, you look on the screen, if you don't have a Bible, what are the next words? Because your adversary, Pastor and Mrs. Scott have already sat through the service, so I know they answered, so the rest of you can jump in, okay? So ready? Your adversary, the devil. There's always an adversary. Here's the problem that we sometimes have when we're going through suffering, struggling times. When we get what we didn't ask for. Peter tells these people, you can be certain your adversary, the devil, is walking about as a roaring lion seeking a maid of hour. Like I said, I want to go through the whole book of 1 Peter. We don't have time. But for really quickly, if you've got the time, I got the time. I'll be here until the end of 11 o'clock or whenever we stop. I mean, well, whatever time. Yeah, 12. I'll be here till 12, so you'll be here till 12, hopefully. So let's do it. First Peter chapter 2, right? Turn over a couple pages. Listen to what Peter is telling these people as they go through suffering. He's telling them how to navigate, how you walk through it. First Peter chapter 2, right? You're there in verse 13. He says this. Submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme, or unto governors as them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God, that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. When we're going through struggles and hardships, sometimes it's easy for us to point at someone else as the enemy. And Peter talks to these people as he's walking through them. He says, hey, he's already gone through the other parts of the book. Your adversary, the devil, 
is trying to destroy you. He told him in 1 Peter 2, your adversary, not the government, is trying to devour you. Let's keep going, right? Chapter 3, verse number 1. Likewise, ye wives, be in subject to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. So he's saying to the wives, hey, if you're a wife, submit yourself, subject yourself to your husband. And if he doesn't read the word, your husband is not a man of the word. That by your behavior, you'll be able to win your husband. Guess what Peter's telling them? Your adversary, the devil, not your adversary, your husband, is just one trying to devour you. He keeps going, right? While they beheld your chaste conversation, verse 2, coupled with fear. I'm going to keep going for time. Today. Let's jump down, right? Verse number 7. Don't worry, wives. I'm not just attacking them. I'm going straight for the husbands, too. Likewise, you wives. I mean, look, wait. <laughs> I thought I was, but then my mouth said something different. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another, love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous. Here's what Peter's saying. There is a certainty. The certainty is you have an adversary. He is the devil. He's not the government. It's not your family. It's not your home. Man, if you have an unbelieving husband, he's not the enemy. He's an individual who needs grace. Husbands, I can't dwell with my wife according to knowledge. I don't know what's going on here. She's not the enemy. Your adversary, the devil, walks with the mouth you may devour. Let's flip over to verse 5. I mean, chapter 5, right? I would love, once again, I want to go through the whole book, but we can't. Verse 5. I mean, chapter 5, sorry. The elders which are among you I exhort, whom also an elder. So Paul says, church leaders, whom also a church leader. Peter says, I'm a church leader. I'm talking to you guys. And a witness of the sufferings of Christ, Peter says, I am a very, I was on the front row watching the sufferings of Christ. And also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Peter speaks to the church leaders, and he says, hey, church leaders. I'm letting you know, don't take overbearing leadership in the church. It's not your spot. Because elder, church leadership, your people are not the enemy. Your adversary is the devil. But it goes on, right? Verse number five. Likewise, the younger, you people who are under this authority, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another. And be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourself, therefore, under, the, under, under that mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. He says to the people standing outside of the pew, the church is not your enemy. The people who are leading, the church is not your enemy. Here's the struggle that Paul, I mean, that Peter is saying. I'm going to say Paul all day, so just, if I do it, just autocorrect me, like your phone, autocorrect me. But when we start talking about, Peter says here, you have an adversary, and that adversary is the devil. The word adversary there means, like, the person who comes in a case to bring evidence against you. 
So the accuser of the brother, Satan himself, desires to destroy you. And he will use lots of things to accomplish that. But guess what? We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So Peter tells him, as you go through hard times, as you navigate life, you're going to experience things, as Elizabeth Elliot would have said, that you didn't ask for. You didn't want. You are going to suffer. But I'm going to let you know that in every suffering, there will always be an adversary. There will always be an enemy and Satan. And you're going to have to resist him steadfast. So this is what you're going to have to do. In life, as much as we don't like being hypervigilant, there's moments where we want to not think about having to deal with the attacks of the devil. We're going to have to be sober and be vigilant, watching for his attack. Every time. Looking around. Because, see, the devil, let's say it this way. The government may not be your enemy, but the devil can sure use it to make you better. Your family may not be your enemy. To the unbelieving wife, I mean, to the wife that has an unbelieving husband who does not know Jesus through her thing. Guess what? It may at times feel like her husband is the enemy. But he's not. To the husband that cannot for the life of him understand his wife, he may think she's the enemy, but she is not. To the church member, who may sit in the pew and look at the leaders of the church and say they are the enemy, they are not. To the church leader who would sit and look at the people in the pew and say they are the enemy, they are not. I have to be consciously aware all the time. The devil will use anything and everything to destroy me, destroy a church, to destroy a family. When we start looking at this, Peter says, just, just go ahead and mark it down. You've got to be vigilant about this. You've got to start looking around it. You're going to have to resist steadfast in the faith. But he goes on and he adds this, right? There's always an adversary. But he goes on in the next verse and he says that, oh, I went the wrong way. There's, there's also those who are afflicted. So he goes this, right? Verse number nine. Whom resist steadfast in faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplishing your brethren that are in the world. So if we're going to go through this, right, and everything, every person who's suffering is gonna, can be certain of three things. I got an adversary. The devil himself is trying to destroy me. As we read in the text, I'm trying not to make anything up, but the government is not my enemy. My family is not my enemy. The church is not my enemy. The devil is. And even as I look at my adversary, he says, go on. Others are afflicted, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplishing your brother that in the world. So as I walk through life in my <laughs> believing that I'm the hero of this story, I'm fighting the enemy himself. Sometimes I get in the middle of struggles and I feel like I'm the only one. Elijah did this, right? Lord, I called down fire from heaven, killed all those prophets of Baal. And there's nobody else but me. I'm the last one standing for truth. 
And Peter says, hey, you guys that are suffering, I just want to tell you this. The same things are being done to your other brethren that are in the world. As you fight your enemy, you just remember, you look down the lines, and the same struggles that you're going through are being undergone by other people just like you. Your brothers and sisters in Christ and other parts of the world are experiencing the same thing. We start looking at this. Isn't it? Isn't it amazing, I guess, right, how sometimes when we go through struggles, we get blinders on that we can see nothing else. Well, if they only knew what I was going through, they would. And Peter's saying, hey, I'm just letting you know there's certainties. Number one, the devil is after you. So he's your enemy. You need to be vigilant watching for him. Number two, there's always other people that are afflicted. And you're going to have to look around and notice that. You're not the only one in this. If you've read the book, The Hiding Place with Corey Timboom, Corey Timboom talks about her sister, Betsy, who is sick in the concentration camp. And when she's sick in the concentration camp, Corey has her medicine, but she doesn't want to bring it out in the daytime because other people want it, right? It's going to help her sister. And when she brings it out in the daytime, other people ask for it. And Corey, in her book, not mine, I would, I would struggle to call this selfishness, right? I would struggle, but she calls it selfishness in her book. And she said, the Holy Spirit convicted me of my selfishness. That she would try to, at nighttime, give her sister medicine so nobody else, so no one else had to have it. In a concentration camp. And she says this, and I wish I could quote it exactly word for word. But she says, it was a great ploy of Satan to make me to believe. That in the midst of such evil, murder, all the horrible things we were doing in this concentration camp, that I would look at my small sins and believe they did not matter. She says, I was so selfish. I didn't realize there were other people suffering alongside of me that needed help. Now, I'm going to tell you, I wouldn't have considered that selfishness. I would have considered that preservation. But she says the Holy Spirit brought her under such conviction. And here's where we're at. When we suffer, when we go through things that we didn't ask for, here's what we got to do. Stop for a moment and look around this auditorium and see there are a whole lot of people, brothers and sisters in Christ, going through things they did not ask for. Suffering through things they did not want to go through. And this is what sometimes we miss. And Peter's saying to a suffering church, I'm just letting you know, guys, your adversary, the devil, is walking about. He's going to try to destroy you. I know you're tired. I know you don't want to deal with this anymore. I know you just want to leave it on you. You're tired of looking around to make sure the devil's attacked. But you're going to have to go ahead and be certain you know there is an adversary and he is the devil. As you're walking through life, those of you who are persecuted, it is not going to be the persecutors. They're not your enemy. And there's going to be others who are afflicted. Other people that in the midst of your fight and you walk through life and you're walking through, you're like, woe is me. And I'm not making light. Please understand I'm not making light of the burdens that we carry. But at sometimes I have to look down the way and I have to see 
that in what I feel in brokenness and torn and tattered in life, that my brothers and sisters along the way have been afflicted also. And they're walking through the same thing. We've known this right in 2020. Understanding it now in 2021, there are hurting people. And there are other people along the way that need my help. But then we come to the best part of this whole thing, right? There's always other afflicted. But then we go to this, right? That God is almighty. There's an almighty God. And so we come to verse number 10. And if I were to spend any time on anything in this whole thing, I'd want it to be here. Verse number 10, right? But the God of all grace. Okay, so let's, just in case, like I know everybody's awake, it seems like, but let's just go right through this, right? There's an adversary, the devil, who's trying to destroy you. As you look down the line, there's other people who are hurting and afflicted. It's like, in my mind, because I have this vivid imagination, I almost picture that we're in some kind of war. The bullets are flying. I've been hit. I'm struggling, and I'm looking down, and I'm looking at other people who've been hit and who are limping and trying to make it. And all of a sudden, verse number 10 says this, but the God of all grace, because we haven't gone here yet. And he says, verse number 10, but the God of all grace who hath called us into his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. So the God of all grace has called us. Now, I don't know about you, but have you ever had someone that you didn't even think knew you or knew anything about you, and then they called you out, and they called you by name? Like, you didn't even think they knew who, who you were in the world. Like, but then they said your name, and you're like, whoa, I didn't even know. Like, they even knew who I was. I was, I think we were talking about this in the early service, but um, if you ever been to the wilds camp where we've gone sometimes here with the teenagers, there's a man there named John Bott. And John Bott seems to know everybody's name. If you know anything about the wilds, you know that he can remember your name from. And I remember being a young youth pastor, right? And we, me and my wife have been there once for a youth workers conference. And it was, I think we we're bringing back the kids to camp some other time. And me and my wife were walking across the uh, parking lot and he yelled across the parking lot. Aaron, Aaron, how are you guys doing? Like, we meant something. And I was like, I didn't even know the dude knew my name. Hey, and he named our church. We were, I think it was, I'm pretty sure it was back when we were still in Florida. He named the church and said, how are things going at your ministry? And it was like, what? Do you, how do you even know me? <laughs> See, this is the thing. In the midst of this, there's an adversary who's trying to destroy me. Everywhere down the line, I see other people who are struggling with the same thing. The God of all grace. Well, how, Aaron, how do you know he's the God of all grace? Because he called me. He invited me to experience the eternal glories because of Christ Jesus. That's why he's the God of all grace. So that one day, one day, Aaron Burton is going to walk down the streets of heaven. And there will be some people probably who look at it and say, why in the world is he here? If you knew Aaron Burden, he shouldn't be here. And you know what I can say? Because of God of all grace, he called me Aaron Burden. He invited me to experience eternal weights of glory by Christ Jesus. He said, Aaron, I want you to experience eternity with me. And 
just like I was with John Bott in such a small way, like, well, I didn't even know he was. The God of heaven will invite me to experience eternal glories, not because of who I am, because a long time ago, Jesus Christ hung on a tree for me. He was wounded for my transgressions. He was bruised for my iniquities. The chastisement of my peace was upon him, and with his stripes, I was healed. And so the God of all grace steps in, and this really bad situation, and you know what he says? This is what he does, right? Keep going, verse number 10. My gracious after you have suffered a while, so the God of all grace steps in. After I've suffered a while, the word there is a little bit of time, a short time. This is what he's going to do if I let him. He make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. So, he makes you perfect. When we start thinking about perfect, he's completing you. Now, I think you probably would have the same story. I think every kid probably has the same story. But I remember being at a babysitter's house, and I'll still blame the kids that their own kids caused this problem. I just happen to be an innocent bystander. That's the way we're going to spin the story because I'm here and they're not. But we were playing ball in the house, of course. We all know, right, you George folk? You're not supposed to play with the big ball in the house. And sometimes we all make mistakes, right? So we do think we make decisions that we should not. And I remember a certain ball going to a certain expensive item, a certain expensive item falling onto the floor. And in that moment, as a child, you'd understand this. You guys all would understand when you start seeing that thing. And as it shatters on the floor, and your life starts to flash behind for your eyes, and you're thinking, can I get to Mexico? <laughs> and as it falls off, and then you try to, in a child mind, you pick up, go get your glue stick and your Elmer's <laughs> school glue, and you're trying to like, you'll never make it perfect. I tried. <laughs> but this is not who God is, right? The God of all grace takes the person who's experienced the sufferings, who the adversary has attacked over and over and over again, and who looks down a line of people who've been attacked over and over again. And the God of all grace, in the same way that God knelt down into the dirt and formed a man out of the earth and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a little living soul, the God of heaven, the God of all grace, makes us perfect. He establishes us. He roots us in the suffering. Now, we all can admit, right, sometimes we don't let it. We fight it. As the, the potter is making the pottery, and the potters in the clay say, I don't want to be this way. And sometimes we try. But God says in the middle of your suffering, the God of all grace is trying to make you perfect. Settle you. Strengthen you. Giving you what you don't have. Right? We know that the reason Stephen in the early church is an amazing story, because we know none of us have it in us to be stoned. And as stones are hitting our body. We say, Father, forgive them. There's nothing in any of us as human beings that says that. There's nothing in us as human beings like Job that says when they've lost everything, say the Lord gave, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord because it is not in me. 
but the God of all grace. He makes me perfect. He settles me. He strengthens me. He found, gives me foundation on which to stand. And Peter says, with all those things going on, right, verse number 11, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. We've talked about the word glory before, right? To make something look wonderful. Like we see the one, the glory of God, like who God is being shown out where we put our focus. Can I ask you if you were to ask yourself, not ask yourself the question because it's a Sunday school question, right? And we're all going to put out a certain answer to it, but not ask your question where are you putting your glory at? But what is it right now that you're trying to behold more than anything else? Because if we said it that way, we'd say, well, of course, I'm trying to glory, behold the glory of God. But if we were to look at what was on our devices, if we were to look at what has been playing on our television, if we listen to what podcasts we listen to, what is getting the glory in our lives? And here's where it works when we're suffering. Because a lot of times we're struggling. We're giving a lot of other things glory. Oh, man. If this would happen, it would make everything better. Not to him be glory and dominion forever. Oh, man. If, if this circumstance went this way, we would give it glory. The glory of solving my situation. But Peter says to the suffering church, you can be certain. You have an adversary, and that adversary is the devil himself. He is accuser of the brethren. He's the father of lies, and he's coming for you. You're going to have to be sober, be vigilant. You're going to have to understand that the same affliction that you're suffering are the same afflictions happening everywhere else. So, there is the God of all grace. When in the midst of your suffering, the God of all grace, if you'll let him, is working. And he wants to establish, settle, strengthen you, make you perfect, if you'll let him. But to him be the glory and dominion. God gets the say. God is in control forever and ever. Amen. And so whatever has it on our hearts, right? We have a lot of stuff going on in the world. In America, and I would imagine that even in this room, we could disagree on how to fix those problems. But I can say this: you can be certain there's a, you can be certain there's an adversary. You are can be certain that when you're going through certain hardships, there are other people along the way that are going through the same thing. But this is it: you can be certain that if you let it, there is a God of all grace who's called you, who's invited you by name to enjoy his eternal glories by Christ Jesus. And he's working. And so this week, our hearts give him glory. No one else. If no one else, if someone else happens to help you figure out a situation in your life, you give the glory to the God of all grace. 
If something happens in our government good in the next couple weeks, we give the glory to the God of all grace. If something happens in our homes for the next couple weeks, we give the glory to the God of all grace. Because I can be certain we're going to suffer. But I am certain there's a God of all grace. So we close with this. We're not going to have a come down invitation, of course, with all the things that are going on. So as we close our service, we're going to close the service with bow the knee. And as we sing bow the knee, the words fit like, right? I didn't pick the song. Pastor Tobin picked the songs as Pastor uh, Scott was talking about this morning. That some of them are a little high for me and Pastor Scott. So me and Pastor Scott are up here not sounding like Pastor Tobin as, he, as we sing. But I want us to sing bow the knee as unto the Lord, thinking of the words. But then I'd be remiss if I were to say this. If you're here this morning and the God of all grace stuff sounds like far-fetched, I don't even know what that means. Can I say this? There is a God in heaven who loved you enough to send his only son to die to pay for your sin. And even if you didn't think your sins are that bad, you can sit here this morning and tell me, well, my sins aren't that big of a deal. See, Romans 6.23 still says the payment for those sins is death. I still have to pay for those sins. No matter how big I think they are, how much I don't think they deserve it, I will have to pay for them. But the God of all grace has invited you to the eternal glories of Christ Jesus through his son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus came, lived a sinless life, died, was buried, and rose again. We call it the gospel for you to pay those sins. So that you could one day, like I said, walk down the streets of heaven one day and somebody say, you're here? You? I know you. No. And you can say the same. I'm only here because there's a God of all grace. And the blood of Jesus Christ washed away my sins. You may not know what that looks like. If you're here today, if you're watching online, I want you to know that I am here. Pastor Scott is here. We may be the recognizable faces. Mine's darker. He's over there. He led the singing. You may like, I don't understand all this. I'm here. Every person out here with the badge on that says they're an usher, I believe every one of them can point you to the way. And if they can't, they can point you to somebody who can point you to the way. If you're a guest and you walk out of here and you see the guest table and you stop and talk to the folks at the guest table, you tell them, hey, I, this is my first time at Trinity. I, I like, I, I hope you liked it, but I, I like it. But I don't understand what it is to be saved. We want you to be saved today. Because I'd hate for you to leave and just hear the God of all grace and not know who he is. Okay? So I'm going to pray to close this service. We'll sing Balvany. And as we stay and after we pray and sing Balvany, I want to sing it as unto the Lord. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. As we walk into another week, let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for your word. God, we thank you that it is to every generation. And God, as we walk through the next week with all the hills and the valleys, the ups and the downs, Lord, I pray that your grace would be right in front of our eyes. That we'd experience again and we'd knowingly experience the God of all grace. There's someone here that doesn't know your Savior. God, would you please work in their hearts this morning? They get to come to know you, the God of all grace. We love you. We need your help. We give the honor for everything you do in Jesus' name. Amen.
Let's take our hymn books. Hymn